Good morning, everyone, and welcome to First Parish in Concord on this beautiful October morning. Wherever you have gathered with us from, we are so glad that you're here. We want to welcome you to church. We know there are lots of folks in and around Concord who are um, joining us. Actually, we've got a little bit of an echo here. I'm going to, I think it's Sarah. I'm going to mute Sarah. There we go. Oh, maybe not. We'll get this figured out. So welcome to church. Um, one of the exciting things that we're doing this morning is this is the first Sunday that we are going live to YouTube. So what this means is that you can watch the service uh, live if you like on YouTube, or if you miss one, you can go back and uh, review it or watch it again, watch parts of it, jump around, whatever you want to do. So uh, from going forward from this point, our uh, services are all going to be up on YouTube for you and whoever else would like to see them. And one of the things, one of the small changes that's going to mean uh, for us in our service is that during the pastoral list, we will just be using first names. And then we will paste the larger, uh, we'll paste the pastoral list into the chat so that you can see first and last names there, but to help protect people's identity a little bit out there in the World Wide Web, we'll just be using first names for the, chat, for the pastoral list. This year, we are having a Unitarian Universalist Roots theme for the whole year, and October is our Universalist Roots. So I invite you to go along with us all of the month of October and hear about some fascinating people in our Unitarian, in our Universalist history. And this morning we're focusing on Quillen Shin, who was a great evangelism for Universalism. And you'll hear more about Quillen Shin as the service goes on. But most of all, welcome to church. We're glad that you are here. Let's take a moment and go into gallery view and see who else is here this morning. I've got Sarah Ritchie on tech. Thank you for all the things you do behind the scenes to keep us on track, Sarah. Good morning, it's good to be with you today. And Adrienne Betancourt is here. She is our social action manager. So happy to be with everyone here this morning. Beth Norton is here, our director of music ministry. Greetings everybody on a gorgeous October morning. Jade Sylvan is our ministerial intern this year. Welcome Jade. Hi, I'm also thrilled to be here on such a beautiful fall day. And Don Van Patten is here, fresh from the family service. Good morning, everyone. I also will tell you, it's a beautiful day out there. And Amy Friedman, our Minister for Religious Education. Good Excellent. morning. And good morning. Yes, it's a beautiful day out there, and it's good to be with you here. And last but not least, Eric Heineke, our organist, thank you for the lovely prelude. Yeah, you'll have to unmute yourself. There we go. Good morning, everyone. It's lovely to be here on this beautiful morning. Great. Welcome to church, everyone. Our call to worship this morning, let me get the right one up here. Our call to worship this morning are words by John Murray who was the founder of universalism in America. He came and in 1770 preached a famous sermon that started everything off. He lived from 1741 to 1815. This was his charge to fellow universalists. He said, go out into the highways and the byways, give the people something of your new vision. You may possess a small light, but uncover it, let it shine. Use it in order to bring more light and understanding to the hearts and minds of all people. Give them not hell, but hope and courage. Preach the kindness and everlasting love of God. Let us worship together. This morning we begin our service as we do every Sunday service by lighting a chalice. This ritual joins us with Unitarian Universalists all over the country, really all over the world, and reminds us of our roots in a faith that has sustained us and our ancestors through times of uncertainty and strife. Please join me in our chalice lighting response. O flame of our faith, open our hearts and fill our bodies and souls with persistent strength. Enliven our spirits, 
and engage us deeply in this life of ours, this sacred, essential moment now. And it's still me, because I leave the opening hymn this morning, don't I? That's <laughs> my job. <laughs> so in joining together and in studying and remembering our historical roots, the song that we have been singing is Brian Tate's song that asks the questions, where do we come from, what are we, and where are we going? And so I'd like to go back to that song again this morning with help from Loopy, my little um, harmonizing program. So let's, let's review the four parts, the four parts that go, and then we'll layer them one on top of the other and ask yourself these questions. Where do we come from? What are we? Where are we going? Where do we come from? What are we? Where are we going with me? Where do we come from? What are we? Where are we going? Where do we come from? What are we? Where are we going? Where do we come from? Do the motions. Mystery, mystery, life is a riddle and a mystery. 
mystery. Life is a riddle and a mystery. Thank you, Beth. I love the added layers of that song. And where we're going next, at least in the service, is to a place called Fairy Beach. Fairy Beach is a very special place. For those of you who don't know, it's spelled F-E-R-R-Y, like the boat. And it's located in Saco, Maine. Each Memorial Day weekend, a group from our congregation, First Parish in Concord, gathers there with members of First Parish in Lexington. In the years that I've gone with my family, Concord far outnumbers Lexington, but we, we still mix and mingle throughout the whole weekend. And this is a tradition that folks look forward to every year. And I remember the sadness of one of our first parish kids when they first realized that we were not able to go to Ferry Beach in 2020. What makes Ferry Beach special? It is a camp and conference center that was founded in 1901 by Universalist minister Quillen Shin, who Howard is going to tell us more about in this service. It was established as a place where our spiritual ancestors could gather for prayer, learning, preaching, and also fellowship and fresh air. But there's something special about the place itself. We are drawn to the ocean, this beautiful expanse of beach. And people sometimes go swimming or at least they, they plunge into the ocean wave for a moment because that water is cold. And people lounge on the beach. And there's something about the sea air and the sound of the surf that softens our troubles for a time, allows us to relax and be held in a deeper way. There's also another special place in that landscape and it is a grove of pine trees and many families camp there. And we gather there under the stars for a campfire and to toast marshmallows and to sing silly songs. And then beyond the grove of pine trees, there is a chapel. The Ferry Beach Chapel is not a building. It's a clearing in the pine trees. And there are simple wooden benches and there are tall pine trees all around. And in the front, there is a simple altar. And carved into that altar are the words, God is love. Now, no matter what your theology, when you are at Ferry Beach, you experience that truth, the sense of being held in nature, and also a sense of being held in religious community. Anyone who's been to our retreats at Ferry Beach will tell you when you're there, the children are all our children. And there are conversations that happen on walks and over meals and out on a porch that just we don't have time to have in our coffee hour or other exchanges when we're together at First Parish in Concord. And of course, there are other traditions like croquet tournaments and talent shows and happy hour and lots of games that are played. And then there's also important for you to know that you can also have times of quiet. You can escape to have a moment of your own personal reflection and deeper rest. So when we can go back to Ferry Beach, you are invited, not only to our Memorial Day weekend retreat, but also to lots of other wonderful programs and camps and conferences that are held there. My home congregation of First Parish in Waltham, we didn't, use, we didn't go to Ferry Beach. We were Star Island congregation. We went to Star Island and we went to Craigville, but I was fortunate enough as a young adult to be a leader of a family conference for a week. And so when we were preparing for the service, the song came flooding back to mind about Quill and Shin. 
And Howard and I, we were never at Ferry Beach together, but he also remembered this particular song, which is sung with great gusto. And so we did a little conspiring with Beth and we decided it was important that we share this song with all of you. And, but I need Beth's help because you know, Beth is much more talented with music than I am. So now Beth is going to lead us in the song. And this is a song I will admit that I never had had a chance to sing at Ferry Beach, but what I understand the tradition is, um, is that it's sung at meals and with great gusto. So I invite you to sing the chorus with me. I'm gonna ask um, Sarah to put the words up with a wonderful picture of Quill and Shin. And I'd like you to sing, this is a familiar melody, maybe heads, shoulders, knees and toes, you might know the words. Oh Shin, oh dear old Quill and Shin, Quill and Shin, to you we raise this grateful din, grateful din, we will lift your name to the highest green pine tree and pledge and pledge our loyalty. Now, in order to really sing this chorus correctly, you need to make a racket, a grateful din, as it were, on those underlined words. So we will demonstrate. I have my husband Peter here playing percussion. Let's try this. Oh Shin, oh dear old Quill and Shin, Quill and Shin, to you we raise this grateful din, grateful din, we will lift your name to the highest green pine tree and pledge and pledge our loyalty. Wonderful. Now there are many verses to this song. I will only sing three of them, but each time after a verse, we'll come back to this chorus and you are to raise a grateful din. Ready? Twas in the year of 1901, 19 that fairy beach was first begun, first begun when Quill and Shin and his 14 pioneers ensured their vision for the years. First they bought the grove for preaching, then they saw the need for teaching, and achieved a brilliant conquest over doubts and fears. Oh Shin, oh dear old Quill and Shin, Quill and Shin, to you we raise this grateful din, grateful din, we will lift your name to the highest green pine tree, and pledge, and pledge our loyalty. Boston, Maine, Boston, Maine, puffed near the shore with dummy train, dummy train, and railroad men from far and round about did gather here to roust and shout. But our fathers liked fish chowder and our preachers shouted louder till they drove the dummy train and the railroaders out. Oh, Shin, oh dear old Quill and Shin, Quill and Shin, to you we raise this grateful din, grateful din, we will lift your name to the highest green pine tree and pledge and pledge our loyalty. Oh, once we had a pavilion, pavilion, and it was one in a million, a million, and the darned old roof would always spring a leak when Brother Doe began to speak. They were enterprising fellers, for the folks all brought umbrellas, and the preserman moved along without a single break. Oh, Shin, oh dear old Quill and Shin, Quill and Shin, to you we praise this grateful din, grateful din, we will lift your name to the highest green pine tree and pledge and pledge our loyalty one more time. Oh, Shin, oh dear old Quill and Shin, Quill and Shin, to you we raise this grateful din, grateful din, we will lift your name to the highest green pine tree and pledge and pledge our loyalty. Thank you, Beth and Peter. 
it, it is something to be in the hall at uh, Ferry Beach in the dining hall and everybody is just thumping on the tables and singing as loudly as they can. It's really a very fun moment. So let us go from the ridiculous to the sublime. I have a reading this morning uh, for all of us. This is a poem by Rebecca Parker. Rebecca Parker is a Unitarian Universalist minister. She was also the president of the seminary that both Amy and I and Marion Beisel went to uh, Star King School for the Ministry in Berkeley, California. This is Rebecca Parker's poem, Choose to Bless the World. Your gifts, whatever you discover them to be, can be used to bless or curse the world. The mind's power, the strength of the hands, the reaches of the heart, the gift of speaking, listening, imagining, seeing, waiting. Any of these can serve to feed the hungry, bind up wounds, welcome the stranger, praise what is sacred, do the work of justice, or offer love. Any of these can draw down the prison door, hoard bread, abandon the poor, obscure what is holy, comply with injustice or withhold love. You must answer this question. What will you do with your gifts? Choose to bless the world. The choice to bless the world is more than an act of will, a moving forward into the world with the intention to do good. It is an act of recognition, of confession, of surprise, a grateful acknowledgement that in the midst of a broken world, unspeakable beauty, grace, and mystery abide. There is an embrace of kindness that encompasses all life, even yours. And while there is injustice or evil, there moves a holy disturbance, a benevolent rage, a revolutionary love, protesting, urging, insisting that which is sacred will not be defiled. Those who bless the world live their lives as a gesture of thanks for this beauty and this rage. The choice to bless the world can take you into solitude to search for the sources of power and grace, native wisdom, healing, and liberation. More, the choice will draw you into community. The endeavor shared, the heritage passed on, the companionship of struggle, the importance of keeping faith, the life of ritual and praise, the comfort of human friendship, the company of earth, the chorus of life welcoming you. None of us alone can save the world. Together, that is another possibility waiting. At its height, just before the Civil War, Universalism was the fourth largest denomination in the United States. It was fourth after the Catholics, the uh, Baptists, and the Methodists, and then the Universalists, if you can imagine it. At its height, there were twice as many Universalists in the United States as there were Unitarians. And all of this got started by John Murray in 1770 when he fled England. He had been in debtor's prison and the only way to get out of it and to start a new life was to come to America, to come to the colonies. And he decided that he would do this. This would be his last chance at a life. And he was determined that he was not going to get himself into trouble this time. He wasn't gonna go around preaching the universalism that had gotten him in trouble in England. Well, he shows up on the shores of New Jersey, and lo and behold, the first thing he does is he preaches a sermon on universalism, his first act in the colonies, because he could do no other. There were willing ears to hear it, and so he preached it. 
So by 1845, just before the Civil War, there were over 600,000 Universalists in America. There were 850 congregations. And these congregations were not just in the larger towns and cities that were forming. They were small rural churches, rural churches in New England and rural churches in the South and rural churches stretching even into the wild frontiers of Ohio and beyond. This was because universalism was a message that was desperately needed, not only in Europe, but especially in America. Universalism stood in stark contrast to the Calvinism that was being preached, a Calvinism that said that God had chosen only so many people to take to heaven, to be saved, and that all the rest were damned. And the way you were supposed to know who was going to be saved is that you could tell by how wealthy they were or how established they were in society. Now, I know this is a simplification of John Calvin's theology, but in practice, it was what happened. It, it sort of worked out that you could know the elect, you could know the saved just by looking at them. And universalism came along and said, hey, what about the rest of us? What about all of the good people who are simply living their lives, who are working the soil, who are tradespeople and carpenters and wheelwrights and coopers? What about all of the rest of us? And so the universalists, in looking in the Bible, specifically looking in the Bible, came to the conclusion that God was a loving God and therefore would not condemn anyone to hell that all would be saved. And you can imagine how this message fell on the ears of folks who had been told that they were less than or that they didn't count or that their voice didn't matter. There were rural churches that sprung up everywhere. In fact, it was on the edges of society. It was on the frontiers. It was in the places where there were coal mines and where there were lumber mills that in fact, universalism took its hold because the preachers of universalism came in and they said to everyone there, you matter. Your life is worthy. What you do with your life matters. And God loves you too. So into this, into this fourth largest denomination in America, Quillen Shin is born in 1845. He's born absolutely at the height of universalism into a universalist family. But he's also born in a place that is so rural that he doesn't even have a universalist church to go to with his family. In fact, he's a teenager before his family has a chance to hear an itinerant preacher who's going around on horseback preaching universalism. But his family was universalist and who was raised in that tradition and he felt the call to ministry quite early in his life. And so as a young man, he attended seminary like most young men who went into the ministry did, went into seminary at about 18 or 19 years old and graduated all ready to be a universalist preacher. Well, he comes out into a denomination that is actually big enough now that it's having some internal struggles. And it's trying to decide what its parameters are. And Quillen Shin essentially says, there should be no parameters to this religion. There should be no fighting over theological fine points. We have a message that America needs. And what we need to do is to get it out there more and more. Stop squabbling, he said, about how fast people get into heaven after they die. Tell them that their lives matter. And so he starts going around. He's the minister of a number of churches. He's minister a few places in New England. He serves churches in Massachusetts and New Hampshire and Vermont and Maine. And at this time, he's also famous for starting summer camps. And the first one was started on the shores of Lake Winnipesaukee, a place that I know many of us know well. And so he has these camp meetings in the summer and thousands of people show up to be with one another, and to have the very experience that Amy was talking about at Ferry Beach. 
And then in 1901, fairly late in Quill and Shin's life, Barry Beach gets founded. But before that, he starts to also do circuit writing. So he might be the minister of some small town in Maine or in New Hampshire, but he knows that that's not enough. So what he does is during the week, he sets up a circuit and he gets on his horse and he goes to even more rural communities and he will preach the sermon. He'll just show up and in somebody's house or somebody's yard, he will preach a sermon. It might be on Wednesday afternoon. It might be on a Thursday morning, whenever he gets there. So interested is he in spreading universalism that he actually takes the message out during the week. Then he decides that ultimately the place that he wants to be a minister most is the rural deep south of America. Now this is so unusual and this is part of our history that we really, really have to hold up. Here is a New Englander who feels a call to go to the south and to spread universalism there. And you can imagine the communities that he's walking into. Communities that are poor, communities that are rural, communities that have lots of enslaved people at that point, communities that will soon be embroiled in the Civil War. And, or actually it's just after the Civil War, I'm getting my timeline a little bit mixed up. Quillen Shin did serve in the Union Army and he actually spent time in a Confederate POW camp. So by the time he gets to the South, we have reconstruction going on and he is feeling a call to go there. Well, he does, he goes there and he preaches all over the South. He actually was, uh, uh, he had this special designation from the Universalist Church as their Southern missionary. And in the time that he spends in the South, he founds over 40 churches, including having buildings built for all of them. And at the same time that he's bringing hundreds and thousands of people to universalism, there's a little bit of criticism in the bigger cities and back of the denominational headquarters about whether or not all of this effort should be spent on rural folk and uneducated folk. And I think there are little vestiges of that that we're still working on today. But Shin was very clear that it was to rural folk and it was to poor folk that he wanted to bring his message. He died in 1907, having formed and founded dozens and dozens of universalist churches and camp meetings and societies, having published thousands of works through their publishing house. And so that brings me to the question of how do we spread Unitarian Universalism? How do you and I make our faith known in the world? Because just like Quill and Shin, we believe that this message is a good message. We believe that what we have to offer is something that people would want to hear. And we believe that our values, if we could put them in place, would make our world kinder, more peaceful, more equitable, more loving, more gentle, and more fair. So how do we, how are we evangelists? I know that's a funny word, and it's a word that kind of brings up all kinds of baggage with it, but what it means is how do we spread the good news of Unitarian Universalism in our day. And I think even more key is how do we recognize that our message is something that has wide appeal, not just something for a few of us who have found it, but something that in fact could appeal to the hearts and the minds of people who are not like us. And so my challenge for us this day, myself included, is to spread the message of Unitarian Universalism, to spread our values wherever we can. We're not gonna do it like Quill and Shin. You don't need to go buy a horse and ride around preaching you know, on village greens on a Thursday afternoon, but you gotta do something and I've gotta do something because we are people of faith and we believe that this faith is something that can help save the world. We can choose to bless the world, so be it. Amen. 
Here's a question to ponder for a moment. We'll hear a bit of music and you can write an answer in the chat. How do people you meet discover you are a Unitarian Universalist? How do people you meet discover you are a Unitarian Universalist? There's some great answers in the chat. I'll read a few of them. Eleanor says, they know when they see me dressed up on Sunday. I tell them right away as it's such an important part of my life. It's part of my identity and on all my biographical descriptions. I mention I'm a UU and am seventh generation. I talk about singing in the choir and working on UU the vote. I affiliate with UU community. I explain that my social and political beliefs are grounded in my religious beliefs. Mike just says, I tell them. Ted says, I mention our UU social action activities. In the hospital before surgery, they asked me my religion. I tell them oftentimes, they ask me what I do when I'm retired. I tell them I work as a volunteer at my UU church. I'm seventh generation too. It's hard for me not to talk about the wonderful church I belong to. I talk about leading the youth group and how much it means to me. I talk about the church's role in Concord's history. It's one of the leading things I say when meeting someone. It's the essence of who I am. It comes up in longer discussions when we talk more deeply about ourselves. There's lots more here. Skipping over some of the repeats, I usually tell them it comes up naturally if I talk about what I do. I share my participation in the By Your Side Singers to people who ask what I do besides work. I will mention in conversation and often do some educating. I tell them that my UU Church is my wonderful multi-generational community. There are so many more. Take a look at them in the chat when you get a chance. And thanks to all of you for being UU evangelists. Wow. I'm, I'm really moved by your answers. I am so moved. Rebecca Parker, in her poem, charged us to choose to bless the world. And her poem inspired for me this chant. The words are, with our minds and our hearts and our hands, may we choose to bless the world. It's very simple. I invite you to sing the melody with me. I will add some harmonies as we go and we'll just repeat it and let those words sink in as we do. It goes like this. With our minds and our hearts 
hearts and our hands. May we choose to bless the world. Sing with me. With our minds and our hearts and our hands, may we choose to bless the world. With our minds and our hearts and our hands, may we choose to bless the world. With our minds and our hearts and our hands, may we choose to bless the world. With our minds and our hearts and our hands, may we choose to bless the world. With our minds and our hearts and our When we gather in community, your ministers share the prayers and the milestones that you have experienced this week. Please contact Reverend Liz Weber with milestones you would like to share. And since this is the first week we're uh, sharing on YouTube, I'm only going to speak first names um, here, but I will be posting uh, the entire uh, information in the chat so you can find out uh, more in the chat afterwards. But first we lift up Rick in thanks for a successful second cataract surgery. He's finishing a long course of treatment for a detached retina. And we mourn the recent death of Kel's mother. Our thoughts are with Kel's family in this time. And we also lift up Sue and her upcoming spinal injection. We also hold all who are affected by COVID-19 in our prayers, including the president and the first lady. 
I would now like to invite you to call aloud the names of others that you're thinking of or type them into the chat. God, as we continue to move through this most challenging year, we pray for wisdom and peace, patience and compassion. Let us not rush forward hoping for some return to normal, but let us find what grace we can where we are. Let us take every opportunity for kindness and care we find. When we leave our homes and put on our masks, let us feel that as an act of love for our neighbors who are our families. When we connect with our loved ones over the phone or over Zoom, may we feel one another's spirit. As our country remains divided and the streets swell with unrest, May we choose to bless the world with our unique gifts. May we share our blessings. May we rise up and move back to empower the marginalized, helping every person in the United States have a voice, arming them with information and access, listening to what they need and helping to provide what we can. And as the days darken and the air grows cold among uncertainty and physical isolation, may we continue to connect with one another in spirit, holding sacred the interlocking web of existence that reminds us that truly we have never been and will never be alone. Amen. Now invite you to sit in silence in a moment of silent prayer and reflection.
Our social action candle today spotlights women's reproductive rights, another reason for us to work for UU to vote. Last week, our own Advocates for Women's Empowerment Group modeled a strategic, multifaceted approach. The AWE team's action included collaboration with partners, street protest, elected officials, skill building, and outreach to youth. Win, 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 win. Let's hear from Laura Venesey to understand more. Hi, I'm Laura Venesey. I am co-chair of the Advocates for Women's Empowerment and also a proud member of the Boston Red Cloaks. So, after we mourned the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, we knew we had to step up the fight for the Roe Act. It's important to know that the Roe Act is different from Roe v. Wade. The Roe Act is an acronym for a Massachusetts bill that stands for the Act to Remove Obstacles and Expand Abortion Access. It needs to be passed now more than ever because if it is, it will ensure that even if Roe v. Wade was overturned, abortion services in Massachusetts would be protected and accessible. Even in this blue state, we have laws that were written by anti-choice legislators a long time ago, and they were only meant to deny and delay care. The Roe Act would remove unnecessary, unmedical barriers that disproportionately affect black and brown women and girls and those living in poverty. So last weekend, we teamed up with Indivisible and we held a summit geared towards young adults and youth. We talked about what was at stake for teens and how younger groups can be reached successfully, including our future voters. And as a group, we developed some strategies for getting out the word via Instagram, hashtag row for all and other platforms too. Also last weekend, Members of all joined the Red Cloaks and traveled downtown to a press conference that was held by Senator Ed Markey. He was in Boston to support the Roe Act and denounce the Supreme Court process and nominee. Representative Tammy Gouveia and other legislators were also there. So what can you do? You can start by calling your legislators. Even supportive legislators need to hear from you and it's quick and easy. Tell them why it's important to you and the young people that you know and push them to commit to voting for it. Talk to your friends and family too. And another important part of raising awareness about the Roe Act is sharing red cloaks and Roe Act images. So please contact me if you'd like to get more involved or you need some ideas on how to use your voice in this fight or even practice making calls. Um, I light this social action candle this week in honor of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and the social justice that she fought for and for young people today whose voices will make a difference in abortion care for everyone tomorrow. Thank you. Thank you, Laura, for that important message. This is important work that needs to go on. In the month of October, we are sharing our plate with uh, with Open Table. This is an organization that we have a long history with. In fact, Open Table was started at First Parish in Concord, and over the years they have done a lot to uh, decrease food insecurity. They have fed so many people, provided so many groceries, and so much love. It is the heart and the warmth that is at the, at the center of that program that really, you know, is, is what it's all about. It is knowing people and caring for them. You can text a donation to the plate. A number will come up on the screen very soon. You can also send in your pledge checks to the church office or donate online. An offering for the good work and witness of First Parish in Concord and Open Table will now be gratefully received.
Thank you, Eric, for the lovely music. As we begin to close our service, I would like to let you know about a couple of opportunities right after the service to see folks face to face and, and talk and have a little bit of human to human connection if you'd like. The first is the worship sharing circle. It will meet immediately after the service and go until 1130. And it's an opportunity to talk with other folks about the themes of the service. And the link to that will appear in the chat. And the other opportunity uh, is the online coffee hour and Liz Rust from the standing committee is here to say hello to you all and to tell you a little bit about that. Welcome, Liz. Thank you, Howard. Good morning. I'm Liz Rust, a member of the standing committee and inviting you to Zoom coffee hour. Zoom coffee hour is a great way to catch up with people you know and make acquaintances in a small setting for just a few minutes. Hey, for some of us, Zoom coffee hour is easier to navigate than the busy, noisy, in-person coffee hour in the parish hall. You'll find the link in the chat at the end of the service, and I look forward to seeing you there. Thank you. Thank you, Liz. And that too will uh, finish uh, by 1130. A couple of other things to keep in mind. Uh, pay attention to your FP Weekly. Check your spam folder if you're not getting it. It's the best source of information. It often has links in there. And you'll often want to use the most recent version of that for a link. I want to apologize to anybody who tried to get into my class last Thursday and had trouble with the link. We have since fixed the link, so definitely use your most recent versions of FP Weekly for those links. Uh, Jade is starting a class this week as well, so watch for all kinds of things that are going on. There's plenty of ways to connect uh, through FP Weekly. And check us out on Facebook and check it out, us out now, of course, on YouTube. It's a chance to watch the service again or to tell somebody. You can do a little evangelism and say, you know, go check out that sermon. It's right there on YouTube. So uh, do make a visit to our YouTube account sometime this week. And also remember that the Family Worship Service happens every week. It happens from 9.30 until 9.50 a.m. And you are welcome at this. Amy and Don are putting lots and lots of energy into this, and it's a fun 20 minutes. That's all there is to announce. Let us join in our closing song. Beth? Quillen Shin was sometimes called the Universalist St. Paul, and this was a, um, a reference to his evangelism. Um, like Paul, the early evangelist for the early Christians, he set up communities in all these different places and supported them. And um, so our final hymn is a tribute to Quill and Shin and to that tradition, and of course is about love. It's based on the famous passage from Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, though I may speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. One of the most familiar passages. This, of course, is though I may speak with bravest fire, and I present it today, we present it today with thanks to the choir who made this recording in record time this week for this service. So let us sing together, though I may speak with bravest fire.
The Universalist message is first and foremost and always a message of love, a love that is transforming and powerful, a love that sees beyond division, a love that is great enough to hold all humankind and in fact the whole world in its hands. It is this love that is available to you and to me everywhere and always. Enjoy this love, live in it, let it live in you and pass it on. Please join in our first parish benediction saying, go out into the world in peace, have courage, hold on to what is good, return to no person evil for evil, strengthen the faint-hearted, support the weak, help the suffering, honor all beings. Oh.